It's Monday, December 5th, 2022 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. There are certain professions that I always knew and have always assumed would never be beloved by the general public just due to their nature. IRS inspector, driving test evaluator, baseball umpire, parking enforcement agent. I mean, when the Beatles rebranded them, lovely Rita Meter made, there was a lot of thumbs on those scales, but still parking enforcement agent, never going to be beloved. You know what category of person I didn't think would be in this? Public health expert. That position has become quite anathemized. Fauci's out. I got to say, I kind of like the little guy. He over-explained things. He thought that erring on the side of caution was dramatically different from just erring. Yes, yes, we know Dr. Fauci. You don't have a, well, we were just trying to be as reckless as possible remit. We know that if you're going to make a mistake, you're going to try to say, oh, it was just being cautious, that you're not going to go in the other direction. But I suppose we're supposed to be incautious. Got it. Doesn't give you the excuse to cite caution for all your mistakes. Still, I understand the mistakes. It was a tough time. And ah, maybe I just have a soft spot for diminutive Italians good at basketball. But we are a country of 331 million people where many of us are ignorant of science and there are anti-vaxxers and all are angry at something. Me, I'm super pro-vax. I roll my eyes at masking outdoors. I don't know what that would get me labeled. Vax enthusiast, mask curious, clerk behind plexiglass antagonistic. So how good was whoever was in charge of our public health ever going to be? How good was the best possible American health expert and communicator going to be if good was defined by having most of the people love him or her? It wasn't going to work. Was this person going to be as good as the best Norwegian could be? I don't think so. The Norwegians are all basically on the same page. Sweden's also a functional, mostly homogenous and coherent society. And yet their state epidemiologist, Anders Tegnell, was the most controversial man in Sweden. And Sweden just elected Nazis. To some, Tegnell was a monster. To others, he saw through the fear before everyone else. We don't even know. We don't even know how his lack of lockdowns really played out. Enter Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC. She is catching a lot of flack for saying things like, this upcoming winter season, you might want a mask. People don't want a mask. The people who want a mask will be masking. And the people who don't want a mask really want to tell Rochelle Walensky that she is essentially worse than a Nazi. Not the Nazis who just got elected in Sweden, the Nazi Nazis. She also last week tweeted, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the end of the Tuskegee syphilis study. Tomorrow I will be joined by colleagues and public health leaders as we honor the 623 African-American men, their suffering and sacrifice and our commitment to ethical research and practice. This tweet was assailed. Can you pick out why? Can you pick out the word? She said suffering and sacrifice. And their sacrifice to her critics implied that it was a conscious choice on behalf of the Tuskegee syphilis study, not participants, but victims. They didn't choose. They were being experimented upon. But you know what? I'm just going to flat out say it. Their sacrifice does not necessarily mean that they took it on themselves. I don't think that word has to mean that. And I don't think we have to get all mad at Rochelle Walensky for everything she does, even though she says she wouldn't send her kid to camp at a time when I was looking to send my kid to camp. Then you have the Chinese Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which 
I don't know. They just published a paper claiming that patient zero of a recent outbreak jogged through a local park outside, exposing 2,836 people to COVID-19, which resulted in 39 infections. It spread from there. Did the COVID from the outdoor jogger. Mm -hmm. In China, no one officially doubts him. Unofficially, thousands of people hold up blank pieces of paper in the streets. I guess it's marginally better to live in a country such as ours, where public displays of anger at public health officials can serve as a release valve, except when it just leads to more toxicity in the air, which, as an airborne pathogen, can apparently affect dozens of people. On the show today, I'm going to tell you about developments in the swath of Africa that runs along the narrow band just south of the Sahara. They call it the Sahel. Don't worry, I will not be naming this segment, What the Hell's with the Sahel? It's a little too demeaning. Although things going on in the Sahel might inspire you to say, what the hell? But first, when all the midterm election results finally settled and gave the Democrats a majority in the U.S. Senate, the do-or-diedness of winning the Georgia Senate runoff became far less dramatic, but not totally unimportant, quite important. Two things. One, committee assignments. Two, Herschel Walker could be a senator. Joining us is Bill Nygut, a longtime political journalist in Georgia. He is the host of Georgia Political Rewind. Bill Nygut up next. here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. And it's not just how good it looks. It's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Tomorrow they vote in Georgia. Actually, they voted over a month ago and have been voting for a week in early voting. So it's more accurate to say that tomorrow is the last day in the Senate race between Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock and challenger Herschel Walker, that a Georgian can go out and let his or her voice be heard. Bill Nygut, his voice is heard as host and executive producer of Political Rewind on Georgia Public Broadcasting. Let's talk Warnock Walker. Uh, has this come up on your show recently at all, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mike, and welcome to Georgia, yeah. where all eyes of the country are focused right now. 
Well, and they were in 2020, but that's my first question. Without getting into, which we will later, many of the details of the race and who's up and who's down, just give me a sense of how it feels to either you as a political professional or the average voter in terms of the crush of attention of the country. As much as a crush, as much as a swirling eddy that has the potential to tear everyone apart or a little more uh, steam has escaped from this version of the now classic Georgia Senate runoff. Well, it, it, the best way to say that is that things have changed in Georgia dramatically, as you well know, over the last couple of years. There was a time uh, in, say, start uh, up until 2020, when Georgia wasn't in play either in statewide races or presidential politics. And so there, there wasn't much attention paid to the state across the country ever since 2020 when Biden won Georgia for the first time a Democrat since 1992. And then we elected two Democratic senators. Suddenly, we're in the center of attention from the whole country. And um, obviously, you understand, it makes our work more exciting. Um, we suddenly feel like we mean something <laughs> out there. But do you mean as much as you did when the Senate literally was in play in 2020? Is the average voter more annoyed, less annoyed, or more excited to be in the middle of things? I, I think the average voter is tired out. Raphael Warnock has been saying on the campaign trail for the last few days, this is the fifth time that I have asked for your vote since 2020. He recognizes that people are pretty weary. Now, they are turning out. We've had good early voting numbers, but I think people are really ready for this election to be over with tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's not supposed to happen in the Senate, but due to an accident of, uh, well, he had to run in the primary, and then Georgia's one of those few states with runoffs if you don't get to 50%. And of course, the fact that it was a special election. What a rare position for a senator to be in, asking uh, voters to back him or her five times in less than little over two years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, you are correct that there's some heat uh, that's gone off this race since control of the Senate is no longer uh, at stake. Although, as you well know, having a 51st senator changes the dynamic. You no longer have to share power. You can have a majority on committees and you have that one extra vote when you've got people like Joe Manchin who are sometimes problematic votes for Democrats. Right. So there are cross currents here. Some argue for Warnock, some for Walker. I'll lay a few out. You can comment on them, maybe add a couple to the mix. One, Warnock was up by a point in the general. That's a data point. Okay, that's probably good for him. Two, Walker has had many, many scandals that haven't completely sunk him, but certainly haven't helped. Also good for Warnock. Three, however, Warnock last time benefited from Republicans, or at least Trump Republicans, telling their people that just the very act of voting was a sham. So it doesn't benefit from that this time. And four, I would say that because of what we just talked about, this time the entire fate of the Senate isn't on the ballot. That might be, I think, good for Warnock because there are probably a lot of voters in Georgia who want Republicans to generally succeed. Hmm. They Georgians uh, voted for Republicans in all the other races uh, this November. So I would say that it not being a referendum on Republicanism in general is probably good for Warnock. Do you agree with those assessments? And would you add a couple more to the mix? Well, I what I would like to do, if you don't mind, is look at it in terms of data points. Yeah. Um, there were uh, um, 1.8 plus million people who cast early ballots in this runoff election. Um, 
it was pretty clear that a majority of those voters did cast ballots for Raphael Warnock because uh, Democratic voters turn out for early voting. Um, but here's one of the crucial data points. Almost a third of the early voters were African-American. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In this state, if you get 29 plus percent of the black vote, you are headed in the right direction. You're not, you've got to win, a, obviously, a substantial number of, of white votes as well. But the fact that Warnock did so well with black Georgia voters in the early voting is a very good sign for his campaign. Now, the other side of that is that in the general election, on election day itself, Herschel Walker won 225,000 votes more than Raphael Warnock did, pointing to the fact that Republicans vote on election day. So that's where this race stands. Did Warnock build up enough of a buffer that he can combat whatever the Republican turnout is tomorrow? Okay, how does that compare to Stacey Abrams, where she lost on election day, her early voting stats? Um, I frankly don't have that right in front of me. But remember, Stacey lost by almost eight points. So l let me say this a different way, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. There is really very little reason to think that if the Republican candidate in this Senate race had been anyone other than Herschel Walker, we had a couple of candidates who were well thought of, especially the state agriculture commissioner, a guy named Gary Black, very popular across the state. It is likely, had Gary Black been the nominee, Republicans would have won this Senate seat already because on the statewide ballot in the general election led by Brian Kemp, every statewide Republican candidate won except for Herschel Walker, who underperformed uh, Brian Kemp by more than 200,000 votes. So the reason that Georgians have Walker to vote for is Donald Trump. How much involvement has Donald Trump had in this runoff? None. Uh, they've tried. They wanted him uh, to stay out of the, the way of the, the, the Walker campaign. Mm -hmm. The only thing that became an issue was the day that Trump announced he was running for uh, election again. He did say very specifically he wanted Georgians to get out and vote for Herschel Walker. But but in Trump's damage was already done. Right. Trump's damage was the choice that voters had. Trump's damage was Herschel Walker. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He anointed Herschel Walker. And that everything he's done since then is secondary to the fact that he anointed him. Is Trump staying out as part of that, that Kemp is in there and there's such bad blood between those two? And if you had to pick one, Brian Kemp is a much more popular Republican in Georgia than even Donald Trump. Well, I, I mean, I don't think Trump is staying out because of Kemp, but you made the, the, the best point. Brian Kemp is right now the most popular Republican in the state of Georgia. He beat Stacey Abrams by almost eight points. Um, so his endorsement, which he's given to Herschel Walker, is much more important than than any damage on the other side of it Donald Trump would do, uh, reminding people that they didn't want a Trump-anointed candidate for the Senate. So there you have the Republican governor. He's very much supporting Herschel Walker, doing his job for his party. And I take him at his word. He'd rather elect Herschel Walker, but not the lieutenant governor. Tell me about Jeff Duncan. Well, you know, Jeff Duncan has been an anti-Trumper for, for a long time. Um, he has charted out his own path. He calls it GOP 2.0 and clearly sees a future for himself in Republican politics when Trump is no longer a factor. 
So as you probably know, Duncan went on CNN the other day and said he stood in a line for one hour plus to cast an early ballot. He got into the polling place. He looked at the screen in front of him, saw Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock and said, I could not in good conscience cast a ballot for either of them. And he walked out. Mm -hmm. Wow. I would say on the one hand, that's a dramatic anecdote. On the other hand, it seems very politically constructed to make a point. <laughs> I think Duncan's point is that I really hate Herschel Walker and all he represents. Yes. Well, you know, in fact, before he made that statement, uh, a another time in this past week, he told, again, I think CNN, that he thought that the runoff election gave Herschel Walker a chance to reset to start his campaign again. And he said, it's pretty clear Herschel Walker has not done that. He's done nothing to earn the votes of Georgians. When we looked at the governor's race, there was some criticism, but you would know if this criticism was apt. I mean, Stacey Abrams could have lost for a number of reasons, that she wasn't turning out black voters, specifically men, male black voters, to the overwhelming extent that she could have, that she needed to. Was that true? And how's Raphael Warnock doing with that? Um, it's true that Abrams didn't energize uh, uh, the black vote to the extent that she had in the 2018 race. But but I think there were other factors in her loss. I mean, she's running against an incumbent this time. Brian Kemp had a record to run on, clearly. She was fighting upstream against uh, Georgians' uh, distaste for President Biden. There were a lot of other factors. But yeah, you're right. The black vote didn't wasn't there the way she needed it to be. So far, as I said, in this election, Raphael Warnock is doing quite well in turning out black voters. I saw some polls, the latest from Emerson, where I believe uh, your daughter went to school, yes? Very good, Mike. Okay. You have a good <laughs> And it, it's a, it's a well-regarded pollster. It has Raphael Warnock up four points. I hope the lesson we learned from polls is not that they're the really good ones are wildly off base. It's just that what a four-point lead in the polls really says is that it's close and it's perhaps a bit more likely that the guy up four is better than the person down four. But remember, it's I think four is probably within or right near that margin of error. So what do you say about that poll or all polls, what the polls are saying? Uh, we've had very few polls to the runoff race. You're right that the most recent one uh, showed that, it, and the most recent one was the CNN poll, which showed at fifty-two forty-eight, Warnock, and, and that's. I have to tell you that the feeling today, on this date, the day before the final day of voting, there's a lot of feeling in this state that the momentum really has shifted to Raphael Warnock. His campaign has a lot of energy. Um, I, on my show this morning, I had uh, four of the uh, top political scientists uh, in, in, uh, in academia down here on. And they all said they felt that right after the runoff, it looked like Walker might be making moves in the right direction, but he has not been out on the campaign trail extensively. Yeah, He's had a very kind of casual approach to the runoff. And so there's a strong feeling, and I suspect some internal polling that people are looking at that we all don't see, that suggests that Warnock really is uh, on a path to victory, depending on turnout. Right. 
So I checked out the betting markets, which, by the way, did not do a good job overall in the 2022 elections, or another way to say that is they were exploitable and you could make some money. They do say that Raphael Warnock has a 91% chance of winning. Would you take that bet? No, I, no, because as a political journalist, I don't want to get involved in anticipating who's going to win or lose. But, but also, Mike, look, you've been around for a long time, too. We know that we never can tell what's going to happen on election day. Remember when there was a red wave that was going to sure. roll through the November 8th election? Heard we all bought into that. And of course, it didn't happen. So I try very hard to watch the races uh, and not to predict. I do think it's true that Warnock probably has momentum. But a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with Republicans coming to the polls tomorrow. And by the way, tomorrow is going to be a rainy day in Georgia. And the last thing I want to ask about is another passion of mine, sports, because obviously Herschel Walker is a sports hero. But there was a lot of attention to the fact that the Georgia Bulldogs are not just the number one team in the nation. They are by far and away the number one team in the nation. And you hear political scientists and smart people in the New York Times wrote an article about in Georgia, could a football win help Walker win as well? Well, the Bulldogs have kept on winning. The Bulldogs haven't shown any of the weakness the Walker campaign has. The Bulldogs just locked up the SEC championship, did they not? So what about that theory? Well, I don't think there's any question that Georgia's successes uh, among those who love Herschel Walker has reinforced their desire to vote for him. But I don't think uh, it's going to overcome all of the problems and all of the baggage that he has carried with him and that we've learned of things that we've learned about him from the start of the race. But yeah, the Bulldogs are incredible. Have you ever seen a football team that executes the way those guys do? They're they're great. Well, I have to, I don't want to, you know, rain on your parade there, but many a Nick Saban Alabama team was, was quite good as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, the big contest is tomorrow. It's been going on for quite some time and will uh, blessedly end. Raphael Warnock hopes in his favor. We've been speaking to Bill Nygut, host and executive producer of Political Rewind on Georgia Public Broadcasting. Thanks so much, Bill. Mike, it's always fun talking to you. And now the spiel. Last week, the Senegalese parliament broke down after an act of violence led to a full-on brawl. Here now, some of the resulting clamor. A member of the opposition walks up to ruling party member Amy Nje Nyenbi and slaps her after... Nje Nimbi refuses to retract her remarks, criticizing a spiritual leader who opposed Senegal's president, Macky Sall's quest for a third term, which is barred under the Constitution. So I'll reset in case you missed some of that. Two opposing party members. One wants the president to run for three terms. The other one says, no, that's unconstitutional. But he, the guy who thinks it's unconstitutional and he's right, slaps her the woman who backs the president who wants to keep being the president. What happens next is what you're hearing now. Just, just 
The opposition refuses to yield to a ruling of the chair. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's not the ruling of the chair. It's the throwing of a chair that Nyimbi was attempting to throw before she was kicked in the stomach by another opposition politician. These acts were widely denounced across the political spectrum as horrific and anti-woman. Meanwhile, we go from that raucous confrontation in the last few days in a Western African country to this parliamentary brawl within a Western African country over the last couple of days. This was the scene in Sierra Leone as a debate over changes in election rules set off a row. Once more, the chair attempted to work across the aisle. No, I'm sorry, how do I keep getting this wrong? The chair was thrown across the aisle, along with a few other objects, including what appeared to be a pillar of some sort and a ceremonial mace. It looked like something large that you might find on one of those life-size chess sets. Hard to tell. Outside of Ghana and the three southern African neighbors that Freedom House rates as flat-out free, those would be Botswana, Namibia, and South Africa, Senegal and Sierra Leone happen to be the highest-ranked African countries, the closest to being fully free, not just partly free. They're in the high end of partly free. So they're actually doing well. Yes, they have parliamentary brawls, but they do have parliaments. This is in contrast to Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso is lagging. They have conflicts, but those conflicts aren't brawls, they're coups. The country has experienced three coup attempts over the last year. One was successful back in January, then another coup attempt was successful in September, and the new leader, Captain Ibrahim Traore, came to power in September, and he has put down a coup from last week. Traore says he will speak with the insurgents rather than punish them. Also of note, Traore has aligned with Russia in a sign of his relative isolation on the international stage and just the idea that the long-term alliance with France was not working. I don't think this is going to change the tide in the Ukrainian war. I don't even know if it will change the tide in the fortunes of Captain Traore. Captain Traore has also declined to give himself a promotion to outrank not only the many Burkina Faso generals, but also colonels, lieutenant colonels, majors, and commandants. They all outrank him in the system. He's also a humble man, this Traore, who also just banned the French public radio network, Radio France International, for spreading, quote, a misleading information about him. The good captain. This has been your news from west to east along the African latitudes of 18 and 14 degrees north. Or as we call it, quite sensitively, not what the hell's the hell, but... Let us call it, do tell of the Sahel. And that's it for today's show. The gist is assistant produced. Good way to put that into a verb form. But anyway, Corey Wara does that job. Joel Patterson is the gist senior producer. The COO of Peachfish Productions is Captain Michelle Pesca. The Gist is produced in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperoo, jeeperoo, dooperoo, and thanks for listening.